Welcome along to Crunching Gears, Season 3, Episode 4. In this episode, I speak to four icons of Irish rallying, co-drivers who have sat with some of the best drivers in the world, and indeed, they, they themselves are rated amongst the best in the world at co-driving. I speak with Terry Harriman, Fred Gallagher, Ronan Morgan, and Bobby Wallace. It's a fascinating story with many twists and turns along the way. If you like it, can you please like and share on social media? And if you could rate the podcast, it would be gratefully appreciated. Sit back and enjoy. stood up and was counted and said this is not getting away I remember when we pulled on our helmets and, and, and Donald says to me what are we doing I said we're going for gold Barrett Thank you all very much for joining this, this evening Terry were you familiar with uh, Fred Gallagher Sr whenever you were starting out in your career Yes, I remember meeting him every now and again on rallies. He was navigating for Jim Stevenson, who was his nephew, would it have been? No, his brother-in-law, Jim, was my oh, uncle. That's right, of course. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Fred Senior was a lovely man, but he he was uh, just out for the fun. In his own way competitive, but he, was, he wasn't uh, trying to kill anybody. No. And- was was that where the for you two got to meet then? Was it through Fred Senior that uh, Terry and Fred? Was that how you just met up? I think Terry, you you navigated for Jim once, and I, I as a cheeky sixteen year old, realised you'd left your marked maps in the back of the car, so I spent the whole weekend copying them before you got them back. <laughs> yeah, they were all to go in those days. We used to go out and do recce's and. Mark all the goers and non-goers and all sorts of things on the map. Yeah. You um, and I used to go out quite often on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Peter Scott. Somebody else that used to go with me regularly was Drummer Harness. I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, it was a bit of fun. Well, Donald Reed, of course. Yeah. I remember the first time Terry saw my maps. He started by saying, oh, your markings are very similar to mine. And then he went, oh, very, very similar. <laughs> Hadn't put the copyright side on the lungs of frog. So, like by you no, know, the kind of late seventies, the two youth guys were competing in the the British Rally Championship. At, you know, with the two great hopes, I suppose, of British Rally at the time, Tony Pond and Malcolm Wilson. Like you know, it was fantastic to have two guys from Northern Ireland at the pinnacle. The British Championship at that stage was only second to the World Championship. Was it a privilege for you to be there? Yeah, it was, of course. It was absolutely brilliant. It was just a surprise that there weren't more people from here having a go at it. But mm-hmm. 
we kept her kept her drivers on straight and narrow, and they seemed to be quite happy with it, and that was it. And other co-drivers were invited to get it joined in. I think talking to people about it, uh, I think I think Terry and I <clears throat> decided quite early that you know rallying was above everything else. There were people like Derek Smith who. Um, sure was equally if not more talented but decided to go and you know get on with business and so on and make proper careers and raise families and so on whereas Terry and I were quite happy to traipse around the globe and you know wonder where the next contract was coming from and not too much security and so on but definitely there are lots of people with the talent out there who uh, decided for some reason or other not to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like for Bobby and Roland, bring you into the conversation here now. Like at that stage, you know, the kind of late seventies into the early eighties, you two were starting out in your career. Was these two guys that you just looked up to? You know, I've always been one of your heroes, Roland. <laughs> <laughs> well, un- un- unquestionably, Kevin. I mean, Terry for for all his escapades and for Fred and whatever. Like these these two men were winning. World Rally Championship events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were just superior to everybody else in Ireland at the time. So it was a pleasure to be to 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 know them and to get to get to know them in later years. And then, you know, guided in various ways by what they did and and and, and what they achieved. But for us, for Bobby and I, they would have been like superheroes, really, in in, 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 in this in this era. Mm-hmm. And, and Bobby, and the same to you. What, what was your memories of those those early days for you? I mean, absolutely, Roman. They they were superheroes, and um, they were. I mean, both of them were wonderful helps, and and um, they gave me a real lift up. I mean, for sure, for many many years, both Terry and Fred were sort of like guided guides for me, and and advisors, and and uh, fantastic. You know, I have many memories as as the. Uh, as, a, as I sort of learned more and more of going to both of them and getting information. The only issue is, Bobby, and we now, we're now making them sound like completely ancient compared to us. They are. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, there you go. That's all right, Terry. Terry, I suppose... Like from- Kevin, one thing in Rome <laughs> said about superheroes, actually, it should be stupid. Anyhow... <laughs> 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 so, Terry, like at that point in your career, were you happy to give out advice to these young ones coming up through the ranks at that stage? Was that for Terry, or I for I for Terry at first, and then last you then as well, Fred? I don't think I, so. Really. I mean, I basically just did my own thing, and that was it. Okay, I would have been with a small group of maybe two or three drivers and their navigators, like the Woodsides and McCartney's and things mm-hmm. like that. They kept kept me busy. Yes. There wasn't much time for chatting to other people. Okay. But mm-hmm. once, once it went through the night, you didn't want to go anywhere near anybody. You just wanted to get to bed. <laughs> yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think you're giving yourself full credit, Terry, because I, I definitely remember that in my early days, I would go to you and ask you about this, that, and the other. And, you know, you might not have rabbited on for too long, but you would always say something useful. I'd have, somebody, I, 
First man who ever persuaded me to wear a balaclava. Uh-huh. What was that for? Was that for Rallyan? <laughs> <laughs> Good bank jobs are vomiting. <laughs> no, balaclavas were the best thing ever because, especially in a hot rally, you know, sweat inside a crash helmet and put it back on. It was the worst feeling in the world, whereas if you had... I used to end up doing rallies with five or six balaclavas and there'd always be two or three drying out in the transmission tunnel. Oh, yeah. They always yeah. had a perfectly dry one to put on. Mm-hmm. I used to hang mine out there with a wing mirror, door mirror. Yeah. You weren't going quick enough. It made it nice and cool as well as dry. <laughs> it's telling you all you these useful hunts now, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't done a stage rally for 20 years or more. <laughs> so, like in 81, Fred, you signed up then to, to partner like Henry Teufen. And was that a big step for you or was it like almost natural progression from sitting with the likes of Tony Pond up to that point? Oh, now that's, that is a tricky question because I do firmly believe that if Tony Pond's head had been in the right place, he had an offer to join Toyota Team Europe for 81. Okay. In the World Championship team, driving alongside Bjorn Voldegaard, and he wouldn't do it because they wouldn't build a right-hand drive car. And I seriously believe that if Tony had taken that. I mean, Terry drove a Tony. He, it, he, would it be right to say he lacked self-confidence in a way, Terry? That yeah. I know when he did safari, he had to recce two, three times around the route, yeah. Yeah. which was madness. Horrendous. <laughs> yeah. But yes, he did. He, he just didn't have self-confidence that he needed to exploit his abilities. Yeah. And for me, his abilities were as good as anybody. He was a sensational driver, but he just... Yeah, so the Henry thing was... I mean, Henry was sensational as well, um, clearly. So it it was a step up in that 81 was the first year I was regularly doing the WRC. I mean, it was was different in those days. that Virtually nobody did every round. Okay, yeah. Um, Uh But we must have done seven or eight that year, I would say. So that was a big step forward. Yeah, and that helped to bring the manufacturer's t- uh, title to Talbot that year as well, too. So that you know that was a big thing as well for them. I don't think any of us actually, apart from Desrodel and Jean Tot, really appreciated that manufacturer's title at the time. Okay. You know, today you look back and think, wow, but I don't remember going into a rally and thinking, no, we've got to get points for the manufacturers. It was... Every man for himself. Okay, yeah. It's, it's like, it's, uh, even still, you know, the, 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 the focus is on the driver's title, but yet they tell you, you know, for the manufacturers, it's the crown that matters more to them is the, the mix crown or the manufacturer's crown, really, isn't it? Mm, you know, that's, yeah. that's what helps sell cars. Terry, at that stage then, 82, you know, we've discussed before, you you were in, got the you got the call then to sit with Ari. Like, this, once again, you know, the two guys from Ireland, uh, the island of Ireland, we're sitting with the two hot shots in the World Championship. You know, absolutely fantastic for for a, a country with a, what, a population of five, six million at that time. Yeah, and then we were teammates in 83, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ivan Nobles and all of them too, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Was there a good relationship there with the, the two drivers? You know, they're both aiming to be, the, you know, the next World Champion. Was, was there friction there? Between between Henry and Ari? 
No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Didn't think no. that. Um, it was hard to hard to understand really what their relationship was because all the time they spoke in fretwork, you couldn't understand a word they were saying. So, okay, could have been running us down, making us what we were, stupid boys. I suppose at the time, you know, Ari was maybe in one of his more um, cerebral moods. You know where. I don't know how you would put it, but he, he would have been he would have been very good living at the time. Okay. Um, whereas Henry was forever chasing women. Um, <laughs> you know, so that apart from being fast driving Finns, they didn't really at that time have a massive amount in common. Okay, you know? yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of from the car they kind of want their separate ways as such then, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough. And I don't know if any of you know this, but Henry's closest ally in his evening work would have been Stig Blomqvist. Right. And the pair of them would head off of an evening and leave Bjorn Sederberg and myself to have a quiet dinner somewhere. And you always think of Stig as being, you know, the quiet man. You know, so it seems an unlikely combination, doesn't it? Yeah. No, no. Stig isn't quiet when you get him on his own. <laughs> A few bottles on him, he's anything but quiet. <laughs> he's good crack. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to tell you, just have to tell you a story that I was, I can't remember why I was telling somebody the other night, but Andrew Kellett, who was the brains behind Rally GB, and I, I think, I think it was, our REC rally at the time was long. If you were an organizer, it went on day and night. And he and I traipsed back to the hotel for, maybe four hours sleep at about half 12 in the morning. And as we walk into this hotel in Chester, there's a shout from the bar. Boys come in and it was Stig and Benny Melander. And I can't remember who else clearly had quite a few drinks. So Kellett and I said, we go in, let's go in and have a quick one. So I went in and had a drink. And uh, after a few minutes, I said to Stig, I'm really sorry, Stig, but whenever you're in rally control and, uh, looking after the rally, you only know cars by number. You don't you don't put personalities or the numbers. So, sorry, what did you retire off? And he said, what do you mean retire? He said, we're lying second overall. And I said, the restarts in four hours in your first. And he said, in Sweden, we have an expression from bar till car. <laughs> and that was the year he finished second on the Skoda. Oh, that was the year the bad snow ever in, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you said the two guys want their separate ways in more or less to get the car. Did the pair of you have a strong bond there at that time? Were you, like, of the evenings, were you having your dinner together and comparing notes of how the day had went? I think we did, yeah. I, I did. I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you did. Go on. No, I was just waiting for you to carry on. No, I was saying, I mean, we did. Carry I on. did your ice, ice notes in Monte Carlo a couple of years. Yep. No, yeah. um, no, no. We often went out for decent dinners. And mm-hmm. Yeah. If I could, this the story is far too long to tell. But the night, the night we lost the keys from my Volkswagen, and the <laughs> Grindrod ended up in Glasgow Central Station three days before an REC rally. But it's it, it it's you too long. Oh, you could have abbreviated it just to get to the crux. Yeah. Too long <laughs> and incriminating to. <laughs> 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 I admit to being an idiot. 
to cut a very long story short, Terry ended up going from London to Bath to London to Bath three times, two nights before the RAC rally. Ian Grindold fell asleep in the train to Preston to pick up his overalls and woke up in Glasgow. <laughs> Some drink had been taken. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no, nobody harmed in the making of the story, was there? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we got in with... Uh, What's his name? Burger. Jochen Burger. Burger. And his uh, map marking escapades prior to the RAC rally. And oh, yeah. once it was over, everybody was out because the new Beaujolais had arrived. I can't understand why people raved about it because it was pure unadulterated garbage, but that's how it all started. Going for a beautiful meal and some wine. Yes, I did some driving that those couple of days. <laughs> and then lost the keys. How did I lose the keys? Where? In the no, hotel, you, the filling station. No, I you, them in the filling station. No, you, you had some Rothman's PR to do. So you, you had borrowed my car the previous day for something or other. And then you'd got the train to Bath. And you got to Bath, went to the hotel. You were feeling like hell emptied your pockets before jumping into bed and there were my car keys. Right. You got a train back to London, to the hotel, went to reception and said, is Mr. Gallagher still here? And they said, yes, he is. So you left the keys for me there. But unfortunately, it was a Mr. different Mr. Gallagher. <laughs> me meanwhile, I've got some spare keys from Robert McBurney who had bought the golf from. And I think you went back to your folks' place in Mepham. Yep. Anyway, you were all over the country. And meanwhile, I was by now in Bath, you know, having had a nice long night's sleep, a decent shower, and a good <laughs> night's sleep. And you and Grindrod were all over the shop. <laughs> I hope you're not recording this, are you? Oh, absolutely, sorry. <laughs> And like um, Roman, at '84, yourself and Billy Coleman, you were up, you know you were navigating for Billy at this stage. Just for driving one of these mantas at the the previous year that that uh, Terry and Fred had been sitting in, like huge honour for you. I'm sure to follow in their footsteps into the, one of those cars. Ah, of course it was. Yeah, but they were a great car at the time. I mean, <clears throat> both both um, Terry and Fred did their did their time in Opel Manta 400s. And uh, I'm not sure, was it was that a, a previous Ari car that we had? I think so, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, prepared prepared by Sydney, by, by Sydney Meek and the Bush and Dungannon. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I mean, great year. In 1984, we won the Circuit of Ireland and went on to win many more rallies that year and win the championship, the Irish Tarmac Championship at the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that gave me my first international win. Way, way behind what the two lads were doing. Mm -hmm. But good fun, all good fun. And Bobby, at that stage in the, the early and mid-80s, you were starting to progress up through um, doing the British Championship with Alan Johnson and then with Robin Phillips in the Gulf. That was maybe 85, 86. Was that, you know, like your, your career was starting to progress nicely through the ranks at that stage too? Yes, it was. Again, and the guys are talking about the trip in London and the map marking and that was one of the first steps that I had because I think Fred and Terry you were together with Rothmans weren't you when you 
you brought me into Mark Maps. Yep. And oh, um, maybe, maybe how you missed the party? I don't know. Maybe I, I was co-driving the next day, so I was obviously very sober and went away. So I was with Alan Johnson in the yep. uh, in the in the escort, I think, in those days. But that was the start of Rally Maps, my business at that time, before the color copiers. But um, yeah, so without doubt, um, Alan Johnson was a fantastic guy, and you know, one of the most talented guys I've ever ever been with, for sure. I like you know he was one in his class there, you know, um, and had little or no experience really before he went to the BRC on gravel, wasn't it? Sort of yeah, he's just a naturally issue. talented guy. I, I'm very similar to, to um, Frank and, and these guys. But again, I'm I'm another major step behind Ronan, who was a major step behind the, the two older older statesmen. At least at, at least we know with the pecking uh, order, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, 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 I, I mean in age. <laughs> what, what age are you now, Ronan, as a matter of interest? I'm 66, Fred. All oh, right, I'm old enough to be your father. I'm 69. Yeah, and <laughs> and now and now I'm very proud. I've got the bus pass here. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So it's yeah. No need to leave keys behind anymore. Let's <laughs> get the bus. <laughs> and when were you last on the bus? Um, probably probably about 20 years. <laughs> yeah. But if you wanted to, you can get on the bus free. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 84 then, Terry, yourself and Ari went, started the There's something about the age there when you said 84. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you and Ari started this great adventure with Persia. Like We've talked about this before, like um, as t- as Ari regarded, you know, he's lived the, the full rainbow, like the highs and the lows and everything in between. Like, it was such a, a, a wonderful time for you and for, for, for Ari as well, obviously, you know. So. It was amazing, just totally amazing. You couldn't, couldn't have written the script for it. It was just, you wouldn't have thought of it possible. Mm-hmm. But then we had tremendous problems in all the rallies. And yet we still came through and won them, which shows how good Ari could be in the right car. I could think he's led... Um, uh, Corsica and the one I know you've led seven or eight of them and won five. Like it, it just shows the the level you just were at. Like it was just like domination at that time was unheard of. But you know you said before it was at that time it was this guy won the rally, then this guy won the rally, and then this guy like maybe two in a row, but never never five in a row. I don't think it has ever been repeated. Mm-hmm. It was five rather than in a row consecutively because we'd missed going to. Ivory Coast, we miss going there. Mm-hmm. It was taken out of the programme at the last minute, so it was three rallies and two rallies, but with one in the middle that we didn't do. Mm-hmm. But it was close enough. Fred, then, in 85, then, um, yourself and, excuse me, Henry, just went your separate ways. He went to Lancia, and you went to Toyota. Um, like, once Toyota. again, yeah. I Toyota, then, with this, another young fan coming up through the ranks, Yuha Kinkinen, like Yuha was went on to set records away beyond you know one four uh, drivers championships. Like he must have been a sublime talent as well. 
No, it was. I mean, that was a that was a great time. Um, certainly, going to Toyota was a great move because I don't know about Terry, but I, I must say I never felt any warm feelings in the Opal team whatsoever. Um, but as soon as I went to Toyota, I felt with Irva Anderson and Henry Lydon in particular, you know, it was a real family team's the wrong thing, but it was a real warm team. Everybody got on and it was tremendous. So at the end of 85, when Henry was going to Peugeot and I had the chance to go with him, but um, Henry, you was going to Peugeot with the chance to go with him. And then I got an offer to go with Bjorn Voldegaard and made the decision. And you could say that if it went with Juha, you know, I could have won whatever in terms mm-hmm. of championships. But at the same time, you know, if it stuck with Henry, you know, I yeah. could be there. Or you yeah. can't. Uh-huh. No regrets about what I did. And uh, yeah, Toyota was tremendous. And Juha was tremendous. And still... Uh, Still get the occasional phone call from you, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like um, Terry, we've alluded to before that you know the warmth that you were welcomed into by Peugeot, like so. Fred, you obviously felt the same with Toyota. Like we kind of always think as these World Championship teams have been a bit cold, a bit you know clinical. It's nice to hear that side of the story too. That they are that there's a, a human side to them as well, isn't it? I mean, Peugeot were exactly as Fred's described. Toyota, they were just like a big family. They had they had odd tiffs and things, but they were soon kissing made up, and it was mm-hmm. it was it really looked after you and, and encouraged you to be happy and therefore perform well. Mm-hmm. Mr. Todd was a very clever little man. Yeah, whenever I started the cross country World Cup uh, with Citroen, Jean Top was sort of the overall boss and he was the most loyal person you can imagine that you know if 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 you were with him he would look after you and if you made a mistake he would support you but he demanded 100% loyalty um if you showed any disloyalty that was really you gone um but i think i think it's a very good lesson in life to you know get good people around you and then get everybody to perform to their best. And if somebody messes up, you know, you, you clearly sit down and try to figure out why they messed up. But, you know, you support them through it. And, no, admirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, you can, you can have a shout or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they didn't do it in per- purpose. You know, if you can put an arm around them and get, you know, explain, you know, we can't, can't happen again or whatever. Yeah, you know, I would say actually that the, the, there wasn't even a shout ever. You know, it would be, it would mm-hmm. be, we've made a mistake. Something's gone wrong. We can't fix it now. Let's carry on, get the be- best result we can, and then mm-hmm. when things are calm, we'll discuss it later and see how we don't do it again. Bobby, thanks to yourself at that stage. Then you know you were seeing these guys at this level. You know, did you want to? Did you want to be like at that level yourself? Were you pushing? To get yourself into like a prime seat. I don't know. I mean, of course, you always tried to do your best and get the mm-hmm. best position you could. Um, and I think certainly there, were, there seemed to be a lot of chances came, and, and you grabbed every chance you came, you got. Um, 
without any doubt. So actually pushing yourself for a good seat, I suppose you pushed yourself to do the best job you could. And then from that, you ended up getting opportunities. Mm -hmm. And Roman, for yourself, you know, you had probably, if not the best seat, one of the best seats in Ireland. And, you know, you were, you were starting to, a few opportunities started to appear in the Middle East. Like at that stage, were you starting to see rallying as a career rather than more than a, the hobby? Oh, without question. <clears throat> it was always my ambition to be, to, to make a living from, from the sport, to be a professional co-driver. So it was huge opportunities when it came along. The only difficulty I had at the time was my mother said to me then, when are you going to get a proper job when you're off, when you, when you get rid of this rallying stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> thankfully, I never got it out of my blood. It's still in my blood. It's still very happy that, um, uh, you know, the sport has been my life and my, my living for such a very, very long time. So I'm, I suppose, in a, a very fortunate position, like Terry and like Fred and like Bobby, we all have had made our careers and our livelihoods from something that we love doing. I think there's very few people in the world who can say that about their sport, whether you're a professional golfer or a football player or whatever it may be. Very few would reach the goal of actually making a living from the sport that they love so much and give all their time to. So collectively, we've had we've had amazing careers and an amazing, enjoyable time during our careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the and great stories. So, sorry, uh, uh, Terry, what was that? Sorry, and great stories to tell. Yeah, that's is that you know, Marvelous. footballers or golfers or these people don't have the stories of any kind to compare with the motorsport stories. Yeah. <laughs> especially rallying that's for sure mm-hmm. yeah. I guess like you know there was no two days the same you know like it was a different hotel there was you know uh, at different stages every, every day was different there was no two days the same absolutely right that was the whole beauty of it you just didn't know what was going to happen yeah yeah. I once you left the hotel in the morning like it was going out into the unknown really wasn't it yeah yeah it's funny you say that, but it absolutely embedded in my memory um, in the Serena Hotel in Nairobi. Safari rally going out one morning in the corridor and my driver, Bjorn Voldegaard, coming out of his room and he said, I wonder what we'll know the next time we walk into this corridor. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, like, you know, that's, you know, even at world level, you're still learning every day. You know, like a golfer... Obviously, you know, they're still progressing, but, you know, there's only so many different ways you can hit a ball or, you know, or a footballer, there's only so many ways you can kick a ball. Like, rallying is completely different. You have to react to what's in front of you at that particular moment in time. Every inch of the road is different. Mm-hmm. You just don't know which is the right piece to be on. It's all quite a lot of good luck in being in the, on the right bit of road at the right time. When I say bit of road, I'm talking about a pad size. It's different from the previous one and the one that you're going to next. They're all completely different. Mm-hmm. How the car would react, how the driver would react, how the co-driver would react. They're all different. It is just a sport of total differences. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And total commitment. And, you know, from the driver, from the co-driver, from the mechanics, it, it takes so many different combinations to come together to make that perfect stage, I suppose, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And like Fred, like to yourself, that spent what five, six years at Toyota. Like this team come from more or less like a safari specialist to a world beater in that time. Like that must have been a really exciting journey to be to witness that. Yeah, I mean it was. It was uh, when I joined. They were just starting their uh, dominance of African rallying. So you know, I won five WRC events in Africa with. Toyota and Henry Lydon. I mean, his 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 knowledge, his idea of tactics and everything was tremendous, and a great guide and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember when Henry saw that it must have been towards the end of our time there, maybe about ninety. And Henry saw the new the new uh, workshops. He said, "This cannot be for a rally team. This has to be, you know." They must be going to Formula One and world domination because it's so big, you know. And it was probably about a tenth of the size of M Sport today. Yeah, it's amazing just how much rallying has ramped up in the last 30 years, really, when you think about it, you know. Like from the mid-80s to the 90s was a big jump. And then from 90 to like 2000, you know, the time that Colin was won the championship and Richard and all, like rallying took another step up to professionalism. Like and now now 20 years later, it's it is almost Formula One-esque. Is it better, do you think? <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> um what what's your opinion on it? Has it has the the show improved? Maybe the show has improved, but I it's uh, not rallying. No, I was going to say maybe it's an age thing, but I honestly don't see the joy in doing three or four stages in the morning, going back for lunch and doing the same three or four in the afternoon and then going to bed. Well, not going to bed, then spending two hours watching yeah, really videos. Of took away the time and money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Terry, you, you wouldn't see today's rally in the same challenge as what you, you guys compete in. There's no challenge today at all. I mean, it's just go flat out. Mm-hmm. There's a challenge and then that's it. There's so many different challenges. Exactly as I said a minute ago about the roads, the different patches of the road. There are different things coming at you all the time. Or oh, there were in the good old days. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was interesting that in Safari, which, which okay, was a massively paired back Safari, the one that Terry won in 83 and then me, let's say in 85, we had, we had I think five and a half thousand kilometers of pace notes. Um, and this year's one was, I don't know, three, four hundred Ks. But it struck me that virtually everybody drove flat out and then complained when their wheels fell off. You know, it, it, it was at all. Yeah, <coughs> didn't seem to be really any attempt to drive around the holes and the when you and I won in 85 we decided to drive as slowly as we possibly could um we knew that Shekhar Meta wasn't as quick a driver as Yuha and the Nissan was slower than the Toyota but Shekhar always finished in the top three so we just based ourselves in him and plodded around we got to the finish and we won and about Three hours after the podium, Marian Anderson, Nova's wife, 
came to us and said, you need to go out with Reinhard Klein to take some photographs to drive through some mud or water or go a bit sideways because he has zero action shots. <laughs> so if you see an action shot from car 21 on the 85 Safari, it was taken <laughs> after the finish. <laughs> <laughs> so Roman, like, you know, we're talking about here that the World Championship had, you know, evolved was the Middle East Rally. And you run there from, from the early days. It must have been very exciting being out there and this whole new thing taking over. Um, Fred, I think you were even out there in the Middle East even before I my first event in the Middle East was 1986. Had you not done one or two events out there in advance of that? Yeah, Bjorn and I did Oman. Ooh. Mm, yes, yeah. Bjorn and I did Oman 85. Sure. Yeah. And then I think, I think you and I were teammates somewhere. We were, yeah. Again, I think Oman in Dubai the following year. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, you were with uh, somebody, Khalifa? That's right, yeah. Ahmed Khalifa. Um, Mohammed yeah. had, had broken his neck, broken his neck at that time. Yeah. And uh, he couldn't, couldn't drive. So you and I were teammates in the, the sister cars of... Uh, yeah. Of Toyota. Yeah. The infamous um, Group B cars, which were yeah. just incredible Loved at the time. Loved them. Oh, fantastic. For Roman, for you at that stage, it, it, fantastic to be sitting along with like uh, Billy Coleman. But now this was, you know, Billy was kind of stepping back in his career. This was going to be the next level in your career. To go in at the top level in the Middle East, it must have been very exciting and something that you were eager to get involved into. Yeah, again, it, it kind of happened by by accident, really. It was David Richards who actually asked me to go down to co-drive for Said Al-Hajri, because we were, when when Rothman's, the Rothman's team at the time, Billy and I, uh, run by David Richards in, in pro-drive, it was DR Autosport at the time, and David said to me, would you go down and do a job in the Middle East? I said, absolutely delighted. So that's what started me off down there in 86, as I say, mm -hmm. with uh, Sajid <laughs> And then the following year, I think Rothmans pulled out and I joined with Mohammed bin Salem, changed cigarette companies from Rothmans to Marlborough, and off we went. And the story started there. Mm -hmm. But I do recall, um, Terry, you might remember this. When, what year would you have done Corsica in the Peugeot T16 was it 80 uh, sorry was it uh, 84 85 84 85 it was 85 right because Billy and I were in the Rothmans Porsche yep in 85 in Corsica yeah and for some reason you had mechanical issues and dropped back a bit and we're starting day two and I remember saying to you uh, and Ari look we're, we're ahead of you on the road, but make sure, you know, we'll, we'll pull over as soon as we, soon as we see you. Of course, in those days, there was no reseeding of, of seated drivers. It was just wherever you ended up, you started in the running order the next day. So this time, um, Ari said, absolutely no problem. Don't you worry. You drive your own rally. We, if we catch you up, we'll sort it out. And so he did, because... The, you might remember this, Terry, but it came right behind us. We were in the Rothmans Porsche. You were in this Peugeot T16, which, of course, was like 
probably about three times the horsepower of the car we were in. And <laughs> about this car took off on the left, never forget it, climbed up on the left bank of the stage. It was just full of grass. It was like a one-ton super lawnmower passing us out up in the grass because it cut all the grass, all the shrubs, everything. He drove through the whole lot, drove through all the shrubbery and the grass to get past us and then gone. Never, we never had to pull over. We never had to decrease speed, nothing. And then I think the same year, then you fell off the edge of the cliff coming down from Calvi down to Ajaccio. Yeah. And we did it both years. <laughs> Fell over a cliff. Yeah, yeah exactly. First yeah. Year was, the first year was Calvi. Yeah. It was in the dark. Right. That was another year, another year that you were running in front of us. Right. And the next year when you were running in front of us, we then went over the edge and rolled a few times. But there you go. In yeah. the, middle of, the middle of Corsica, in the middle of the island. But and they were... They were just unbelievable days in those in those Group B cars. So I'm not surprised they were banned in the end because they were just highly, highly dangerous. And Fred referred to it earlier on. Fred had an incredibly lucky escape that you didn't stay with Henry when Henry sadly passed away in the in the Lancia uh, in the Lancia Delta. Yeah, and of course, well, for, no, for no reason against people, it might not happen at all if Fred had been there. Well, there you go. No, that's the whole thing. I mean, if you know, if Tony Pond had got the the ride with TT in '81, we might have crashed and died, or what? Might have gone with Henry, and you know, he might now be a nine times world champion yeah. grandfather. You know, you just don't know. So there's no point in regretting anything. Oh no, no don't regrets, no regrets, but just, but just fact. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you know, we're saying there about Group B getting banned. Like, just you know, the three of you guys were lucky enough to sit in, you know, the pinnacle of those Group B cars. Were they as fierce to sit in as you know our view of them on TV is? It must have been just fabulous to have that opportunity to sit beside some of the best drivers in the world and some of the best cars in the world. I don't think we ever. I mean, it was great to sit beside the best drivers, but I don't think you ever thought. Gosh, Group B, nothing's ever going to be the same again. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a natural progression, really, at that stage, wasn't it, really? So. Hmm. Yeah. I must say, I love the Group B cars. All I needed was a bit more metal put on them. Because <laughs> they were out-and-out competition cars built. Yeah. Noah's ball bearing up to the roof as a competition car. Yeah. And they were probably the first car that was like that because I mean, it bore no resemblance to the, the car that it was based on, the ordinary 205. It was a good car because it was a good driver's car. Everything was right on it apart from the fact that everything, that it was going to have an accident, the doors fell off. They didn't want to have anything to do with the accident. <laughs> they, just they were held on, held on with the flimsiest of hinges and Velcro. Motor cars were held on with Velcro. I mean, it was incredible. Okay. But it was made, made stronger, more bulletproof. I think they could have done very well, lasted a long time. A bit of a quiz question for Ronan, Bobby and Kevin. I think I only ever rolled once in a Group B car. Who was the driver? <laughs> 
was it with? Oh, I, I know the answer. <laughs> Who was the driver? Yes. He's on this call. <laughs> He's on this call. Oh, yes. You remember that day, Terry? We Harry, Harry hurt his back, and Terry called me and said, you've got to come out and do Monte Carlo Recce with me. And we're going along. It must. There was something coming the other way, and we must have slowed down to about 20 miles an hour max. And unfortunately, the road to our side gave way, and we tumbled down through this snowy field. Terry said it's the only time he's rolled in his life, and somebody was laughing at him as he was doing it. <laughs> there wasn't a mark on the car. None. I had to get a really great crate out from when it came from Annecy. Did uh, it not? Yeah. Remember it like yesterday. <laughs> and the little, little old lady in the Renault Ford was coming down the hill. And she saw she just put her foot hard on the brakes and she just slid and slid and slid. I went over as far as I could. And the next thing it just turned out to be snow over bloody hedge or something like that. Down. The egg, the money of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Fred, what was your line? Never just stop rolling. <laughs> We've heard that you said, just like Ari Vatman. <laughs> no, I think I did, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like all of them. Yeah, I've got a picture of it somewhere, but I can't find it. Bamber's cartoons. Yes, he's again. I'll stop you. Where's that effect? And Bobby, like at this stage, then you were developing up through you started to sit with the likes of John Hogland. Um, Miguel Sundstrom and all that. So you know you you were on that progression ladder as well. You were you know doing WRC events, ERC events, and all too. Yes, absolutely. that must have been you know like you know John Hogan. I'm sure Fred will probably testify this was probably a very talented driver too. But he stuck with Skoda for never you know it could maybe have had, had the opportunity. If they went to other teams, he could have been as good as any of these other guys we've mentioned. Fantastic guy. One of the things I loved about John was his attention to detail. And one of the things of attention to detail that always struck my mind was the windscreen wipers. And John came up with this idea, particularly on uh, long stages, but it, it, he set it up with the car. The, the windscreen wipers were always set straight up, not tucked alongside the bonnet. And the reason for that was that when you go down a a special stage, the wind resistance on the windscreen wipers when they were going straight up was less than when they were on the side of the window. So you saved 0 .000 something seconds in, in, in a, a mile as you were driving along the stage. But at the end of that stage or at the end of the rally, that would have added up to one or two or three seconds. And I can never really work it out, but it did kind of make sense. But without doubt, it was the epitome, the memory I have of John Hogland in co-driving with a Skoda. Whenever I was sort of well-established in Triumph with Tony, um, persuaded John Davenport, the team manager, to give John a TR7 V8 for the RAC rally. Mm -hmm. And... John finished in exactly the same position as he had the two previous years in the Skoda. 
and was doing exactly the same stage times and he couldn't <laughs> figure it out. But he was no quicker in a TR-7 V8 than he was in the Skoda. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a bit of a random how you become, they got the opportunity to sit with John Fred. Wasn't it something to do with the circuit that you had sat with or you had co-driving for somebody that was down the line that was Norwegian or something and you were had picked up a wee bit of the language then or something. I can't remember the whole story. Yeah, the late Malcolm Neal phoned me one day and said, I've got a Swedish privateer wants to do the circuit and mm -hmm. uh, did it with this guy and we crashed out in about the second stage. So we were then doing the Sunday run and sitting at the back and somewhere in the Sunday run, I realised they were sort of talking about me and then John Hoagland said, I hear you're a student, so you must have big holidays. So do you want to come rallying for July and August with me? So... Brilliant. I set off on the boat to Norway with 25 quid in my pocket. And we did the Barham rally in the Czech Republic, finished second overall. First rally outside the British Isles. And then a thing called the Baltic rally that was in Denmark and Denmark and Germany. Like Roman, this is something we've touched on before. You always wish you had kept more information on your career. Um, well, my biggest regret in my career was that I never kept a record of what I did, of the events I did. Never mind photographs, like Fred is an amazing library and has, has amazing records of what he has done. But I never kept a record of every event I did from the time I started out in the mid-70s until the time I retired. And all I would have needed was the event, the date, the driver, the car, and the result. That's all I would have needed, those, those pure facts on every single event I did, but I, I don't have those records. I've got sketchy records or whatever, but it's one of the regrets that I never kept that uh, that log, if you like, of what I did in my career. Well, I'm embarrassed to say the anorak and me has kept that log from Irvine, Tannehill, Dungannon Motor Club days. Right. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe you're a bit sad. <laughs> more, more than a bit, Ronan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you see all these books behind me; they're all in alphabetical order. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I suppose, in some way, like a co-driver, they had to be like almost like a you know the level that you guys had to be at. You know, keeping the you know the driver on the stage, everything you know, That's everything better. had to be going on. You know, on the road sections, directing them. You know, figuring out the times you had to be the next start of the next stage. Um, talking to the service crew, feeding them information. There's so much going on. Like It must have been a, like full on when you were sitting in that rally car. It wasn't just calm pace notes. There was so much, so many other things involved. Yeah, pace notes yeah. were a minor, a minor part, but <laughs> they were no more than 25% of it. I would say, Terry, I mean, you were thinking about servicing where you could change tires, where you could... Yeah. Exactly. Whatever. Brilliant. Good challenge when it all went right. You got the vans or the state cars at the right place at the right time. You felt you'd achieved something. And, and Bobby, then for the likes of yourself, then, you know, you know, going into the 90s, we touched there, going into the Middle East and all then too. At this stage, was it becoming a career for you then now as well? Yes, very, very much so. Um, I just started the the indoor kart track at the time at Kart Valley <coughs> in 92. But 
um, rally maps were still going, but certainly the, the joy of moving into the Middle East and, and indeed sort of catching up and, and learning from Ronan and Mohammed was just incredible. Um, it was a real, real opportunity for me. Yeah. And Ronan, like you, you, you were well established in the, the Middle East at this stage. Um, like <clears throat> yourself and Mohammed, then like, what a partnership it was turned out to be. Like you just went on to one ten times, I think, the championship. Um, you know, we probably don't appreciate that, but it's only now the history books looking back now how big a deal that was. Yeah, it was marvellous. I think, yeah, I won the championship 10 times with Mohammed. He went on to win 14, 14 separate occasions. But uh, yeah, it was great because it was real pioneering stuff. And we just mentioned Terry and, and, and Fred just mentioned about the logistics involved as well. It wasn't just co-driving. We were like team coordinators as well. We, there was no kind of real um, army of people around you to, to look after you, to do to do everything for you. So, um, we, yeah, we had to make sure that we were the, the the organizers of the team, really, as well as co-driving in the car to make sure, as Terry rightly said, the service vehicles were in the right place at the right time and that you just kind of had everybody, you knew what everybody in the team was doing and more or less controlled what was happening um, along with the team manager. But you were more, you were a coordinator as well as, as, well as a co-driver. But it was all very, very interesting and, you know, marvellous experience. And we all gained, the four of us gained this experience from navigation rallies, road rallies back yeah. in Ireland. And that's yeah. the way we all started out. Yeah. And the boys were mentioning maps earlier on. Okay, marked maps on the forests in the, in, in the UK or whatever. But we all started off on navigation rallies here in Ireland. And that most definitely honed our skills individually. Okay. We were just, it gave you a great sense of time and distance and speed and uh, obviously finding a way around on a map and whatever. And it was just the best training you could possibly advise any young co-driver starting out now to embark, if they want to embark on a career, embark on the sport, to start off at that, at that basic level of navigation rallies, which are just great, great fun you know, late on a Friday or Saturday night and just uh, even for three or four hours or whatever was just a great uh, way of developing your skills. Uh, would you agree with that, Terry, when we started Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. In the, in the older days, virtually every good co-driver had been a navigator. In, yes. In England or Wales or Ireland. Yeah. 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 And that's where they learned their trade. Yes. And developed to read patient notes, make them sure. read patient notes. That's and right. also to coordinate movement, travel, everything. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. very true. Yeah. Bobby, I, I would love to hear about the year you did the Dakar with the Israeli driver. <laughs> <laughs> that's another fine mess you got me into. <laughs> I think it's probably better coming from you rather than no, me. No, no, I, I don't know. I, I, might, I might stop a libel for that one. <laughs> Carry on. He's, he's not listening, I promise. Uh, my friend Marty. Did Fred get you in trouble as well? Oh. Back on early. Yeah. Certainly got me into trouble with it. Oh, with Dakar. You went, you went in the truck with Hannes. 
Hey, somebody call him. Grobler. <laughs> he was a lovely guy. I don't think I've ever felt so relieved when I got out of the truck at the end of it and said goodbye. Come on, yeah. Bobby. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, when was that? 95 or something? 97? You you put me in touch with this this chap um, who wanted to do Dakar for the first time. And he had seen Dakar um, from his boat or his yacht in the Mediterranean as we crossed over a previous year. And he, he had got in contact with you, I think, wanted you to co-drive. And, and you, he, and he, your infinite, he, go on. He turned up in, at an event. And I remember he was at the bar and said, I want to do Dakar. Will you do it with me? I said, no, thank you very much. <laughs> and he said, well, will you help me? And I said, I can help you, yes. And he put his hand in his pocket and he brought out an envelope and there was $10,000 in it. Yeah. And he said, well, if you can help me. So that was fine. And then Jutta Kleinschmidt turned up. Um, and I don't think Jutta had yet won the Dakar, but was winning events. And she got an envelope as well. So she did some driver training with him. And I thought, I know a guy called Bobby Willis who'd be a perfect co-driver for him. <laughs> And I think it took you quite a few years to forgive me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That, that was a difficult, difficult time because everything had to be done. Money was not the object. It was a case of get everything you needed. Uh, I suppose the end of the story was that I think he forgot to change out of first gear and therefore we ran out of petrol halfway through the special stage. Because <laughs> um, every time the sand was soft, we just were in first gear and we got stuck so many times. I think in any of the other two times, I never got stuck in, in total as many times as we did in that rally. And eventually we ran out of, of days of trying to keep going. And we spent a whole, I think it was 24 hours camped out waiting for somebody to come and tow us back. And the car was fine. We just needed a lift. But for some reason, I was blamed because of that. But it wasn't really anything to do. It may have been the problem with the fuel tank not being big enough, I think. But um, it it needed twice as much fuel and maybe nothing else in the boot. <laughs> and uh, it, all ended up, it all ended up in a, a very sad way at the end. <laughs> I didn't see the envelope. But, uh, oh, the other I was going to say, Bobby, did you get the money? No. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> so Fred got paid and did nothing, but you did all the work and you got only. So I think Fred owes you a few quid. Uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For right. sure. Yeah. No, it was, uh, no. <laughs> it's all it's all a learning curve, though, Fred. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a money can't buy experience. <laughs> It certainly was an experience, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 So, like, you know, and the, the, the coordinating and all this, you talked about the, the skills you pick up as a co-driver, that then started to come into fruition then whenever you started organising events. Uh, Terry, I think, are you the mobile, mobile One Challenge, the, oh, what do you call it, the Camel Trophy? Uh, Ronan, then you started to go into uh, the Middle East Championship, the cross-country events and one thing or another. Um, like, so it, your co-driving skills were taken to another level. Um, must have been very 
Terry, for that likes of that Mobile One Challenge, I know me and Ronan spoke about this before, it was way ahead of its time. I enjoyed it immensely. It was a fantastic event. Um, it was just a pity that it didn't go on and develop the way we would have liked it to do. To do. We had plans to go out into the Middle East, actually, and run events out there of that nature, but the, there was an oil crisis, I think, or something like that, and uh, the sponsors couldn't put any money into it, so that was it. But it was two years which I really, really enjoyed. Was that with Mike Greasley, Terry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're really... We're early championship first, something sponsored, I can't remember, but it's like WCP, World Championship Promotions. Yes, that's right. Yes, Grizzly and Ted Smith and Charles Reynolds was in it a bit. I still see Ted Smith once or twice a year. Yes. Ted Some Smith's of- a guy called Richard Seth Smith. Yes. Who, uh, Stig Blomquist couldn't pronounce his name, so he called him Ted Smith, and very quickly everybody called him Ted Smith. <laughs> He's still on the He's still around, yeah. We'll go for lunch with him and Simon Pearson, if you remember him. Yes, vaguely. Yeah. And again. So, like, Ronan, we, we'd spoke about this previously, you know, like, that the Mobile One Challenge was way ahead of its time. Like, uh, to, to be at that level, Saturday afternoon, Prime sport middle of year Manchester United Liverpool matches. No, like it was taking Raleigh to the masses, wasn't it? It really was. It was a very clever, um, a very clever format. And I mean, I remember Terry and 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 um, Mike Greasley worked worked very hard to put this together and put together an amazing series. And we had the best fun of all time. We great, brilliant. Because Terry was co-driving for Mark Lovell at the time, and because Terry was organising the um, the event itself, the whole series of events, I ended up co-driving for Mark Lovell for that week. Uh-huh. And of course, we just raced around the UK, ending up in in the Isle of Man, and we had the biggest party of all time in the Isle of Man, Terry. Remember that? And of course, Stig, Stig leading the party, yeah, in a big way, yeah. So we just had great, great fun, great camaraderie uh, with all the drivers, all the co-drivers, all the, the, the teams, because we all drove each other's cars. Yeah. So that was the fascinating part of it. You just weren't confined to your own vehicle. You just sampled everybody else's car and did every stage in, in each other's cars, whether it be um, the, the Ford, Ford Sierra at the time or whether it be the two-wheel drive Peugeot or an Audi Quattro or whatever, but it was really good. Or a Toyota. Yeah, that's right. Toyota. Toyota. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. you know, you had Lancia sent over cars one year, yeah. and Toyota, and like, it's hard to imagine that happening now, like Hyundai and Toyota, uh, you know, M Sport supplying cars and letting, you know, competitors drive their cars. It's just like, it's probably something that could, could never happen now. I often wonder what way the insurance on it worked out, whether it was insured or not. <laughs> I didn't have any dealings with any insurance company, so I have no idea. Yeah. But I have my sufficiency. <laughs> yeah. But to, to actually get um, Manx Airlines, was it? Did they own the plane? No, it wasn't them. 
to hire a plane, a Boeing, a Boeing. B. BAE 146. 146, that's it. Little 4Jet to take the whole party from Blackpool to Douglas and afterwards back to Blackpool. I mean, it was just a real, whose idea was, I don't know, I can't claim it's mine. It was a real touch of class. And everybody, I think, loved it. Six cars, six different stages, six different drivers. And was it, it was a, it was just over a week, I think, wasn't it? We did it all then. It was, Bobby, yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's one of all time. And you, and you were blessed with good weather as well. I remember yep. in the forestry, the dust clouds, and even Isle of Man, the weather played ball with you snow too, yeah. didn't it? You know, so. Yeah. That's right. Mighty. And like Fred, at this stage then, you were started in doing uh, cross-country, the World Cross-Country Championship. Yeah, no, I started cross-country with Bjorn Voldegaard in 90 with Citroen. Okay. Um, and did every was with Citroen from the first event in Spain in 1990 to the last, which must have been in the end of 96. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the rally in Spain was called the Baja Aragon. And I tried to explain to people that it was the hardest rally I ever did. And every year you dreaded it. The, um, the first year Bjorn and I did it, there were something like 400 starters in the car division, which sounds unbelievable. <laughs> Um, there was a seeding stage at the start and we had a mechanical problem. We started way, way, way down the field. Um, there was only one special stage. There was no service area, but that stage was 800 kilometers long, 100% in gravel. No road was used twice. Believable. Um, you stopped for fuel in your own time. We, we got back to Zaragoza at about half past eight at night and it was still 38 degrees. Yeah. I remember about 20 k's from the end, Bjorn took his helmet off because he said he couldn't cope with the heat. Now, he had won Safari Rally at least three of the previous five years. Mm-hmm. At one point, he said to me, how far to go? And I remember I said 2.1 kilometers, and he said, impossible. He said he couldn't do it just from the heat exhaustion. Wow. Unbelievably hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so did... Uh, all those years with Citroen. Um, Guy Frecklin was the team boss, somebody who, if you'd ever known him as a rally driver, you couldn't imagine in a million years he would be a good team boss. But, of course, he turned out to be a tremendous team boss um, and led Seb Loeb to all his wins. And, yeah. you know, and I, I think the team won the cross-country World Cup every year, so... And like and to, that to was where spend, I finally ended up with Ari. Yeah, to spend that long in a car, you know, like from morning to night, like the practicalities of it, and you know, full competition the whole time, like it must be draining mentally, physically, everything. And then to do it again the next day, it's not as if you have a few days to recover. Like well, that what, Spanish, that Spanish one was only one day. Oh, it was only one day. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh-huh. But, like, I no, did. I did Dakar with. Timo Saladin one year, and that, that, that was an interesting experience because I always remember we started the first African stage at 8.32 in the morning, and we finished at 21.15 at night, and we were second quickest to Bruno Sabi. Um, 
Incredible. And again, there were like 300 cars and trucks in it. Mm-hmm. And we went to bed and woke up in the morning and eight, eight cars had arrived and that was it. But Timo was great. At one, one point, long before GPS, one point I said to Timo, Timo, I think I'm lost. I don't really know where I am. And he said, what great news. And he stopped the car and he got out and he said, I'm going for a pee and then I'm going to have a cigarette. And by the time I get back in, you'll know where you are. <laughs> and he did. And I did. No Brilliant. Brilliant. And at the start of the stage, he gave me two packets of Belmont cigarettes, some Finnish brand. And he uh-huh. said, right, you're in charge of the cigarettes. And uh, during during the stage, he smoked 30 cigarettes. My God. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> And he threw he threw them all out the driver's window, not knowing that all the cigarette butts went into the air intake over the back left wheel. <laughs> you, like you mentioned something there at pigment was like you get out and want for a cigarette and a pee. How you know if you're doing long days like that, how do you how does the toilet come into this? <laughs> well, firstly, you do get pretty dehydrated so okay. uh-huh. the need isn't great um uh-huh. and citron invented all kinds of tubes that you should pee in and so on but and freckle was always above you with the helicopter so saladin was very good at finding a a forested bit um, <laughs> you know and he would stop there with the helicopter couldn't see and then you'd come out and having dropped a minute and freckle would say what happened is that oh something with the engine but we, we lifted the bonnet and had a look and it was all <laughs> Ronan, at this stage then, you were organising events and whenever Fred was sitting with the, the one only Ari Vatman, um, the combination of the year was an event you were organising and to put the, you know, to complete the Irish connection, Ari and Fred just won the event, thus claiming the championship and the organiser of the event was Ronan Morgan. Exactly. What a, what a lovely story to it, isn't it? And Martin Taylor from Dublin was doing the trophies. <laughs> That's right. But, but it kind of moves on from that, really, Kevin, because that year, um, yeah, for sure, I was the clerk of the course, the organiser of that, of that uh, Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge, and Fred won it with Ari. That was in November, or sorry, should I say October, whatever. Um, the next month, Fred was organising Rally GB. So, and I was co-driving for Mad Japanese Driver. So I'd kind of turned a blind eye to some of Fred's um, uh, idiosyncrasies on the event in Abu Dhabi. So here I was two weeks or three weeks later, caught speeding on the recce with this mad Japanese driver. So Fred said, well, look, you kind of did me a couple of favours there two weeks ago. So I'd turn, I'd turn a blind eye to that one. So it was just tit for tat at the time. Of course, nowadays, there's no way you get away with that. Every no hiding place. There's no hiding place. Yeah, we were caught by the police, and that was a report into Fred from mm-hmm. the police about us. But now, of course, with the tracking or whatever, um, you just get an instant penalty, and that's it from the stewards. But mm-hmm. great days when we kind of swapped roles all the time yeah. for between organising and competing against each other. So good fun. Yeah. And of course, same with Bobby as well, because Bobby would be would would be maybe competing on an event I'd be organising and good mm-hmm. vice versa and then Bobby of course went on to 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 organise the, the the super special stage in Stormont for, for Rally Ireland and I was we were dovetailing on that event as well 
2007. And I, was, I was deputy clerk of the course. That's right, Fred. We were all in the rally director. Bobby did the super special. Yeah. Yeah. So a bit of a team effort there. Yeah. I, and you've told the story before, Roman. The super special that before it even started, there was a, a like a, a real juggling of dignitaries even before it even started. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you won't forget that one, Bobby. Will I will forget. not forget that one. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> And Fred was okay. He was ensconced back in Sligo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but we were dealing with the uh, juggling of the uh, of the royal royalty and uh, the head of Sinn Fein or whatever at the time. So it wasn't easy. Great. I was first off off the ramp that night with Gareth, and then Chris and Paul. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. Yes, because we were the two. Crews that cross the border. Oh, right. Yeah. I think we were first round Stormont. But there you go. There you uh, go. Did, he just, did I, I introduce you to Princess Anne? Yeah. Yes, Anne waved us off. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Great memories, Alan. Fantastic event. Yeah. I remember, remember that night, Ronan, or at the end of the first day's full competition, Tom Walsh was clerk of the course. That's right. And I, I was sort of his deputy. And as clerk of the course and Rally GB, I, I would, you always had to present a clerk of the course report to the stewards of an evening. Yes. And so I had this habit. I would start it up in the morning before the first stage and everything had happened, just type it in, you know, as the day went on. So it was a, a living document. And, uh, I remember about 10 to 8 on the first evening, I said to Tom, right, Tom, stewards meeting in 10 minutes. And Tom said, Jesus, we've forgotten the clerk of the course report. I said, what do you mean we, Tom? You're the clerk of the course. <laughs> Jesus, what are we going to do? <laughs> so... So I presume you handed in the document, Jeff. I did, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I should do. Brilliant. Ter- ter- Terry might be interested to hear that. I'll, I'll keep this short. But when when I did that year, 97 with Ari in the cross country, um, it was Citroen's final year and Freckelin didn't really have a seat for me. Ari was going with a French guy, Gilles Picard. Mm-hmm. And Freckelin, to his credit, he said, you know, we'll, we'll give you a contract anyway and if something turns up and so on. And So first round of the championship was in Italy and I was at home and uh, suddenly see this picture of Ari's Citroen at 90 degrees to the road, about six feet off the ground. And uh, they had a massive crash, first round of the championship. And I'd never sat with Ari in a car ever. And he had a reputation that I knew from talking to Terry that life wasn't always easy and so on so and different experiences so Ari phoned me on the Monday morning said Fred you have to be my co-driver you know I can't I must change co-drivers and I said Ari honestly I'm near the end of my career I need to I need to wind down so thanks very much for the offer but no thank you and he phoned me on the Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and Friday and I said no every time and then Friday night Guy Freckelin phoned me I was in a pub in Edinburgh and Guy started pulling at the heartstrings, 
Fred, Citroen has been loyal to you from the start and you have been loyal to us yeah, yeah. and for Citroen and for France and for, you know, you could hear the Marseillaise playing in the background. And I said, I'm, I'm concerned that Ari's got a reputation as being a crasher and difficult. And Guy said, if you feel uncomfortable at any time, turn off the master switch and I will support you. And I, I told this to Ari during the year and he was appalled. Um, <laughs> But th- then, he, then he, he made me a financial offer that I absolutely couldn't refuse. So agreed to do it. And uh, to cut a very long story short, we did seven rallies that year. We won four of them. We're second in the other three and we won the World Cup. So uh, that's amazing. It all ended up quite nicely. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> nice winding down year. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, you went story. back to the, the WRC then after that with Ford. and That, that was Ari's fault to begin with as well. Because, <laughs> because uh, yeah, Bruno Thierry broke some bones in a stupid wrecking accident. Okay. And as Malcolm Wilson said, he made a list of the 10 people he wanted to replace him and none of, none of them were available. So Ari was next. <laughs> and Ari and I went and did it and we, uh, we ended up on the safari, I, I hadn't, I said to Ari, I haven't read a pace note because in cross country, you're off road books. And I hadn't read a pace note for seven years. And we went to safari and we ended up second overall, um, clocked in 22 minutes early at the last control to let our teammate Kankanen pass. So we're third in the record books, but we were second. Um, yeah. And then we were fifth in Portugal two weeks later. And then Malcolm asked me to go with um, Thomas Rodstrom and Simon Jean-Joseph and ended up doing safari with Petter Solberg and finishing fifth and scoring his first ever points. So, And, like, you know, at that time, uh, Colm was coming to M-Sport. Like, this was mainstream. This was, you know, in the front pages of the paper, never mind the back pages. Like, Absolutely. Uh, that was a brilliant time to be involved in with M Sport. Like that, that was that was huge. Being teammates with Colin is something I will never forget. I promise you. <laughs> Hopefully, in a good way. <laughs> well, apart from the old broken bone, yeah. <laughs> and did you ever get experience co-driving with him? I did the San Remo test with him that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was he like? Was there something different about him in the car? Yeah, unbelievably smooth. Zero drama. Right. I know what you think at all. No. Out of the car was a different matter, but hey. <laughs> so, like, you know, you went on, you know, the four of you between organising events, you know, taking part in events, travelled the world with this crazy <laughs> motorsport. Like, it, it's, it must be, if you look back, you must have some fantastic memories to think that, you know, something that you started out doing as a hobby has taken you to this level, you know, 30, 40 years later. I just can't believe that somebody paid for us all to have fun for <laughs> 30 years or whatever it was. I think I think the over, overwhelming feeling that I would have for all four of us would be privileged. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Terry, so make lifelong friends. Yeah. Terry, what's your thoughts on that? That you, you know, you've got the opportunity to travel the world, sit with some of the best drivers in the world. I've got a certain amount of 
pleasure out of organizing, but it was never the same as being in, inside the vehicle. And I just, just became a lazy bugger, I suppose, packed it in. Mm-hmm. It was just a different, different, totally different thing. You looked at people in a different way mm-hmm. when you're organizing an event or competing in an event. Didn't, just didn't chill with me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas I guess Ronan, Bobby, and myself, we all kind of love the organizational side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, Bobby, you know, you know, like you, you're still involved in, the, you know, this side of it. You know the heartaches, the headaches, the joy that that brings. I don't know the joy yet. <laughs> It'll come, Bobby. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, like you know, we can't forget, like you know, the Circuit Ireland ten years ago was a dead duck, really. You you brought, you know, you talked about this, uh, you know, at the time you talked about the sleeping giant. You know, you resurrected that giant. There's no doubt in my mind the Circuit Ireland would wouldn't be now if it hadn't been for your foresight at that time. Yeah, foresight maybe, but I think you know, in life you pick up things and and. Every one of the people that you know, you've got on your your panel tonight, I picked up from them everything, and and you know you're really just stitching it all together. No, um, but Bobby, it's a massive credit to you what you've done. I mean, Mal- Malcolm Neal saved the circuit back in '73, I think, yeah. at the height of the troubles when nobody wanted to go near it, and uh, you know he rescued it, and you've pulled it from nothing. So, I think when you get WRC. In Northern Ireland, like Ronan did, of course, in the South, mm. it'll be a massive, massive. Can you imagine whenever we were all in our 20s, 30s, whatever, if you'd said WRC would be in the island of yeah. Ireland, you'd have thought you were mad. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, even even to say, you know, WRC, Northern Ireland, it, it seems almost like a dream. And the one man that can make it happen is, is here now. <laughs> yeah, no question. They were all behind you, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I have to just wait, and be patient. Yeah. So Connor's just going to give you a, a wee quick fire round here now. Um, he's going to jump in oh, here. <laughs> yeah, it, we've got a quick fire round. Six questions. Everybody's going to get the same question. So we're going to start just alphabetical order. So Bobby, which driver did you most enjoy sitting with? Oh. Um, I think, funnily enough, uh, Abdullah Bakachab, um, from the times that we had, uh, he was a, it was a great uh, challenge learning, you know, he didn't really speak very much English at the time, and then learning to be reasonably competitive and, and enjoying the fun that we had with the likes of uh, Ronan as such and, and competing against. But those years were, were wonderful years. So Abdullah, I would say. And Fred, same question. Which driver did you most enjoy sitting with? Uh, probably Bjorn Voldegaard, I would say. Zero good results, but zero stress. And Ronan? Um, probably Billy for me, Connor, because I think Fred mentioned earlier on talking about Colin, about being absolutely smooth and forgiving on a vehicle. And that's exactly what Billy was. Understood and the mechanical uh, side of, of what, what he was driving, what he was doing, and got the most out of any vehicle he ever drove. So, yeah, for me, um, 
Billy Coleman was was uh, a huge pleasure. Yeah. And Terry, which driver did you most enjoy sitting with? Malcolm Wilson. When I started with him, he was very young, learning. I was able to help him from that point of view. He accepted my help. And he was a very fast, very good driver. We got on well together. I was sure you were going to say Ronnie McCartney. <laughs> and Bob, Bobby, I was sure you were going to say me. <laughs> Alan, you taught me everything. <laughs> and you've been trying to forget it ever since. <laughs> And, and, and Bobby, question number two, which driver would you have liked to have sat with but you didn't get the opportunity? Colin. Colin McRae. And Fred, what about yourself? Billy Coleman. Okay. Ronan? Or Ronnie McCartney. Or Ronnie. <laughs> Ronan, who would you like to have sat with but didn't get the opportunity? Well, not with Ronnie, but I would the same answer as, as, as Bobby, probably Colin. Oh. And, and, te- and Terry, what about yourself? Walter Rule. Okay. Uh, good answer. Yes. <laughs> good answer, Terry. <laughs> and then again, just again, running this alphabetically. Yeah, my, my initials W, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your favorite rally car to have competed in? The one of the ones that I that I have competed in. Yeah. Yeah. From a fun point of view, I, I think I would go with the Skoda from an early Skoda with John Hogland. And, and, and that probably Alan in his early days as well. Yeah, but Alan Alan's Skoda was particularly quick. I just don't want to embarrass him because he is and he's very shy. <laughs> And Fred, what about yourself? What was it? What was the favorite rally car you competed in? Definitely the Toyota Celica Twin Cam Turbo, Group B. Okay, Ronan. I mean, thankfully, I I some years in the in the same car that Fred picked there, the the Twin Cam um, Group B Turbo car. But um, from a um, a style point of view, I think the Rothmans Porsche Nine Eleven was just outstanding for me. It was just a great iconic car at the time. Yeah. And Terry, what was your favorite car? So let's say the Dissonsac Togo says Peugeot 205 Turbo 60. Yeah, question, yeah. Yeah. And we'll just go in reverse order for the last three. So, Terry, what was your most memorable win and why? Safari 83. Everything went against us. On the last night, we were two and three-quarter hours behind the leader. We came through and won it by four minutes. Um, an incredible, incredible event and very satisfying. And Ronan, for you, what would be the most memorable win and why? I suppose I mentioned earlier on my first ever international win was the Circuit of Ireland in 1984. So you never forget your first big win. And that for me, what, in fact, my trophy for first overall is sitting here in my <laughs> for that event. Is that the one you were meant to give back? 
No, it's the one I was meant to polish before I gave it back. <laughs> and Fred, for you, memorable win. Terry 83, Ronan 84. So for me, Safari 85 with Yuha. Very briefly on the plane on the way out, we were sitting in economy class right at the back. We went up to see Henry Lydon on the way to Nairobi. And we gave him a bit of a playful banter about sitting down the back in row 87 or whatever. And he said, if you behave yourselves and get to the finish, you will fly back in business. And we smiled as we walked away, looked over his shoulder and he said, of course, if you win, you'll fly back in first. And true to his word, we got to the airport and there were the two Brilliant. first class boarding tickets. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant story. <laughs> Henry Lydon. Yeah. And, and Bobby, for you, most memorable? Dakar 2003, without doubt. The one you got paid for or you didn't get paid for? <laughs> I, I got a very measly sum for that one. Yeah. No, fantastic, fantastic. To finish Dakar in, uh, in that position was just fantastic. But Bobby, that was with Jean-Louis Slasher, yeah? No, no, that was with uh, the first of the Volkswagens, the, the Tarek. Oh, yeah. Um, the early version of the Tarek. So Jean-Louis Slasher, we didn't have a fantastic result on. So that was uh, staying for quite a long time out in the desert. Yeah. But Jean-Louis flew home, mind you, but I, I had to look after the car. <laughs> as you do. As you do as a co-driver, yeah. 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 And Bobby, just what would be the favourite stage that you've competed on? So not so much the rally, but actually, you know, what, what stage stands out or... Do you look back fondly on or got the most enjoyment out of co-driving on? Again, I think getting to the end of one of the, the, the Dakar stages would have been the biggest challenge and hopefully without making any mistakes. And, and I, I can't remember the names of them, but those, those Dakar stages, they were, they were something else when you got to the end of them because they were just so, so long and, and, you just really needed your your wits about you from the start to finish. Fred, is there any standout stage in your career that you you know you used to look forward to competing on, or you enjoyed the most? Probably not a stage, but safari rally, railing, just yeah, almost anywhere in that. And Ronan, for yourself, is there any stage stands out? I'll tell you what does stand out, probably the, the most horrible stage I ever did in my life was in Corsica in um, the year we mentioned earlier on, where there was a continuous stage for something like, it, it would never happen now, it was 50k, over 50k is long, 50 kilometers long. And I remember our stage time was one hour and six minutes because it was incredible dense fog all through that stage. And I never forget reaching the end of it. And it was just completely drained and wiped out because it was unbelievable concentration for that length of time. So the answer is, yeah, I, I never forget that one for that reason. I hated everything about Corsica. So Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't much to love about it, Fred. Another 15 minutes, I would tell you, but we'll save that for the next time. <laughs> yeah. And Terry, for you, last question. What do you got? What, what's your, your favorite stage? Or do you, do you have a favorite stage from your career? 
I think it's to her head, actually. It's just such a mixture of different types of rooms. Long and good, real challenge. Good choice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hope you're taking note, Bobby. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a good stage to see World Rally Cars on. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no well, pressure, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to start wrapping things up here now to say what an absolute pleasure it was to spend, you know, an hour and a half now, whatever, with, you know, legends of the sport. You know, we can't play this down. You know, 11 WRC ones. 10 Middle East Rally Championship, uh, FAA Cross Country Championship, the list goes on and on and on, you know, Tarmac Championships, you know, you know, it's a real role of honour. Uh, you know, from such a small country to produce this calibre, and this continues today, you know, we're looking at Paul Nagel, uh, Chris Patterson, sure. Aaron Johnson. It, isn't it phenomenal from such a small country to produce the calibre of drivers, co-driver, engineers, technicians, you know, whatever. It's, you know, what makes Ireland so special? Must be something to do with the water. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think it, I think it's some of it, but one word again is passion. Passion for our sport. Passion for rallying that we've all been born to and grown up with and have enjoyed so much. And hopefully we'll pass it on to the next generation as well. Fred, do you want to tell About sharing. Everybody shares. Yes, Alan. Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Fred, you want your add to that? I think, honestly, when you have a, a bit of a heritage of something that people have to live up to it. Um, you know, pe people say Finns were great drivers because they drive in snow and gravel and whatever, but I don't believe that. I think it's that if you were a if you want to be a Finnish rally driver, if you're going to be the best in Finland, you're going to be the best in the world. Um, and you, you, you'll see it in the UK with um, tennis after Raducanu, that that will get kids interested in tennis. And if she goes on to have the career that it looks like she could have, you know, that the level will rise and rise. If, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you lived in Holland and you wanted to be the best co-driver in Holland, you know, you'd probably do that fairly easily and finish 48th in the WRC event. But if you want to be the best navigator in Ireland, you're going to be a lot further up the field than that. Um, you know, whenever Bjorn Borg started winning tennis, suddenly Swedish Swedish tennis players appeared in, in the generation after that. So I think if you, if you have the standard and then can keep it that's that's a lot of what what happens yeah. and bobby what's your thoughts on that i think that's absolutely right i think it's that standard is important and i guess that's one of the main reasons that i believe in in a world championship rally is that we need to shake things up and bring things back a little bit and mm -hmm. i think that standard the passion that ronan talks about i think absolutely well I'll just finish up here now on behalf of Connor and myself. Um, an absolute pleasure to spend the time with you. Um, the story's phenomenal and really appreciate you taking the, the time to just take a wee run down memory lane with us. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you very much.
God bless you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Terry Harriman, Fred Gallagher, Roland Morgan, Bobby Wallace, Joyden, Connor Edwards, and myself, Kevin Dunning, talking about him. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did recording it. Some fascinating stories. It really is just mind blowing. Um, could you please like and subscribe on all social media platforms? It would be greatly appreciated. And also take the time maybe to just delve into the bike catalog. There's some great stories over the past two seasons. There's over 30 stories now at this stage, I suppose. So, once again, thanks very much. Take care, speak soon, and bye.